We're going to be um, we're going to be jumping straight into it this morning. Uh, we're looking at part four of Colossians, chapter three, right? Chapter three of Colossians. We're we're going through the series, exegeting. Um, this thing. Actually, I went for a walk. I went uh, out to youth camp yesterday up the Craigieburn and, um, and was walking up uh, Helicopter Hill. Anyone done Helicopter Hill? Oh, come on, in it. I knew you would. <laughs> you name a hill or a mountain, Annette's been there. She's done that. Give her a challenge. What's next? <clears throat> if someone can come up with something that she hasn't climbed yet. She's already done the Himalayas. So, you know, if you can come up with something, you go and tell her, and that's the challenge. Um, before, before, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Some Mizzion. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was climbing up that hill, and I was talking to David Edwards, and he told me yesterday that uh, John Mark Comer did Colossians over 52 weeks. What? <laughs> it's four chapters. 52 weeks. So anyway, I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna slow things down. And uh, chapter three's got 25 verses in it, so we're just gonna do a week each verse and see how we go. Um, he's set the benchmark. No joking. <laughs> uh, really, chapter three. Um, can you slow the timer down? Yeah. Uh, chapter three. Uh, begins the behavior part of Paul's uh, book, okay? So it's where he tackles this question of how now shall we live? So this transition, and um, we're going to jump in. I'm going to be reading from the New English Translation, just because I think it's quite gangster. Um, <clears throat> so that'll come up. Colossians 3.1. Therefore, feel free to follow along in your own Bibles. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So therefore, whenever you hear a therefore, uh, you've got to ask yourself some questions. What is it? Therefore. Cool. So Paul is saying therefore. Therefore, based on the previous two chapters, right? Therefore, uh, based on everything that Jesus has already done for you. Therefore, on the basis of Gideon's last couple of weeks of preaching, yeah? So have that fresh in your mind. Uh, hey, Colossians, therefore, because of all this incredible stuff that the gospel includes, uh, the finished work of the cross, the gift of righteousness, of innocence, uh, freedom from sin, freedom from striving, from performance, therefore, put to death whatever in you belongs to the old self. Think about these waters of baptism. Put to death whatever belongs to the old self and live from the new self clothed in Christ's righteousness. So Paul connects these two parts of the book together, right? Um, this is what Christ did, and so this is what we do. You're following with me. Wonderful. Uh, all of Paul's epistles kind of follow this format, right? Um, and what the church has done in the past is they've kind of systematically cut these books in half and they've brought us the second portion as a bit of a list of to-dos, you know, a measuring stick. And they've said uh, they, haven't, they haven't laid a foundation of acceptance grace and they've just gone, as a mechanism of control, do this, you know? And, and mainly it's out of fear, like uh, how do we get people to conform to behavior? The behavior in Scripture. How do we, you know, all the behavior verses, how do we get people to conform to that? 
That's hard. That's a bit scary. And that's why for generations, if not centuries, the church fell into deep religious legalism. Yeah, duty and obligation without nearness, without intimacy. Form without reality. Behavioral modification without inner transformation. And so if you have, you have a deep revelation, which Gideon's been laying over the last couple of weeks, of the acceptance grace of God, then you'll actually find this second portion of the chapter, uh, of the book, sorry, the second, uh, the second part of the book, starting at chapter 3, you'll find it empowering. Because it's meant to empower you, empower transformation within you. Yeah? If you lack that revelation on the acceptance grace of God, then you'll either feel shame reading this, you'll feel guilt and condemnation, or you'll be offended. You'll be reactive and get defensive. Thanks, Samuel. <laughs> but if you know who you are in him, you know, if you've actually spent time with him and you'll start to know who you are by spending time with him, then he will start to flow through you. Behavior must always be a byproduct of knowing him. So there is no, there is no pathway, thanks, there is no pathway the other way around. It doesn't exist, right? Uh, anything else Isaiah 64, 6 says is just filthy rags. So our faith is his acceptance of us. Uh, sorry, our faith in his acceptance of us, our faith in his acceptance grace of us is actually the key to our transformation and our obedience. Okay, so we're up to therefore. <clears throat> therefore, um, since you are, Colossians 2 puts it this way, Colossians 2.20, we're just going back slightly. Therefore, since you are dead to all the laws dealing with externals, Wow, that's what happened in the water. We're dead to all the laws dealing with externals. Romans 6, 5 says, Therefore, since we are dead to this world and risen with Christ. Right? So Paul connects the riches of what we have in Christ to our internal and our external behavior. I'm, I'm laboring this point, but uh, I, I want the foundation to be really blatant. Okay? Because uh, there's this clear transition here that happens in the book. And uh, we really need to capture the truth of it. So my question is, why behave? Honestly, like why behave differently than you've always behaved? Seriously, why, why bother? It's a real question because if you fully grasp the goodness of the gospel, that in Jesus you are 100% forgiven, you know, um, that you're not going to be judged for your sins, that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior and Lord, then eternity with Him is an irrevocable reality. Why behave? Have you ever asked yourself that? Surely. Surely. Yeah, why behave? Well, let's, let's keep reading. Therefore, 3-1, three, three, we're still up to 3-1. If you have been raised with Christ. Um, now, the if there doesn't actually mean a question okay it's not saying if you have been it's actually saying all born again believers raised with Jesus Christ it's an accomplished fact right it's it's uh our spirits have been resurrected from their dead state out of the waters of baptism right and into new life 
just as we've witnessed this morning. The NIV actually says, since then, right? Since then, having been raised from, uh, from dead with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. So keep on seeking the things above. It's like this, it's this continuous practice, yeah? It's a routine, it's habitual, habitual discipline to keep seeking the things above. Like anything worth pursuing is worth keeping on with, right? It involves some intentionality, some planning, some purpose, some passion. And it's, you know, like, what are, what are your habits? What are your habits? Running? Bro, that's awesome. Bible study. What do they reveal that you actually care about? <laughs> Brushing your teeth. Yeah, that's a good habit. You know, healthy habits. Ask yourself, what are your habits? Because they reveal, they expose your priorities in life. They actually show what your true desires are, the desires of your heart. You know, the NIV, instead of saying, keep seeking the things above, the NIV says, set your heart on. The TPT says, yearn for. So it's about hunger and desperation to yearn after something. Matthew and Luke say, seek first the kingdom and seek and you will find. You know, and it's the same Greek word being used there. It means to search for or to require. Like, I need this. This is my life sustenance. This is my food and water. To demand it or even to plot for it without the sinister connotations, but to plot for it, to plan for it. It's not some complacent or static thing. You know, it's not dependent on our rhythms of life. It's the ups and downs, your hormones, uh, but it's constant. And it's increasing this trajectory like all the time, constant increase. All right, Colossians 3.1, here we go. Therefore, if, <laughs> moving on, things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Throughout Scripture, uh, the right hand of God is this preeminent position of authority, right? So Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of God at the throne, holds all power and authority. He has equality with the Father. And we, you and I, are seated in Him as co-heirs. We are sons and daughters of the same inheritance. It's absurd. It really is absurd. Like if you think about it, such is the goodness of His grace that we inherit what the Son inherits, and we're seated with Him. Do you know what that means, though? It's actually abnormal for us as Christians. It's abnormal for us not to have an appetite for the things above. Like an appetite to see the impossible, right? Because it's been written into our spiritual genetics, like our DNA, as as children to hunger for impossibilities, to bow to the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. The lack of things above like being made manifest in and around our lives, isn't because it's not God's will for us. Do you believe that? See, His will for us is on earth as it is in heaven. So the problem exists on our end in our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. It's actually us turning to our baser instincts, like our drives and our impulses, our flesh. We need a restoration of heart. We need a transformation of will. And we need a renewing of our mind. 
It's only possible through the work of Holy Spirit. And, and typically, it's accelerated by hunger. Desperate people attract the Spirit of God. You know, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Have you heard that? Humble people know their need for them, for Him, right? This humility, you know your need for something. You know your need for God. Humble people, He extends His hand out and He gives them grace. Desperation, I reckon, is like the fertilizer of heaven, right? <laughs> it's like it gives you a craving for the things above. Here we go, Colossians 3, 2. We're getting somewhere. Uh, <laughs> keep thinking about things above, not things on the earth. The King James says, actually, rather than keep thinking, he says, set your affections. Set your affections. In other words, permanently uh, fix your heart on the things above, you know, like remain steadfast, hold the course, fight the good fight, run the race. However, Father, not my will be done, but yours. You know, I will drink from the cup. I will carry my cross. I will die to self for the sake of the things above. I will put to death whatever is in me that belongs to the things below. Change uh, for us human beings is really heart and limbic system driven, right? This is the force behind the change of our actions, our behavior. See, when you constantly dedicate your affections to something, that's what holds your heart. You know, and anything that you can't lay down for him actually remains an idol. It remains above him. Paul says it this way, Romans 8.5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Are you dwelling on the flesh or the Spirit? The way you live is actually directed by this. It's directed by the way you think. You know, the direction of your life cannot be isolated from your thoughts. <laughs> and your words are really just an extension of your thoughts. That's why the Bible says that the tongue is like a rudder to the ship of your destiny. Uh, and that's why Jesus could so firmly turn around uh, to Peter and rebuke him. Mark 8.33, he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you have not in mindful, uh, so you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Another word for affection could be treasure, where your heart is, there your treasure is also. We, we can summarize this in another one of Paul's letters to the Philippians. In, uh, in the King James, Philippians 4.8, it says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's where we dwell, you know, and when you are seated in heaven, you do as heavenly people do. You dwell on the things above and you are spiritually seated in heaven. Your spirit resides there. 
behind your puku. Hey, yeah. <laughs> However, we could choose not to seek the things above, right? Like we've proven that. <laughs> we've proven it real good. Feed on your flesh. Go on. You're still seated, actually, next to the Father. That doesn't change. See, even when you're involved in the things of earth, Colossians 3.5, even when you're involved in sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passions, evil desires, and idolatry, you're still seated in Jesus by the Father. If that freaks you out, that he remains that close to you whilst you're in that state, whilst you are in your lusts, then I would suggest you go back and revisit chapter 1 and 2. <laughs> uh, that revelation of the paradigm of grace is what you need to have in your life. Because he's always with you. He's inescapable. And your position is not uh, dislodged by your condition. Your life is in him. Colossians 3, 3, 4 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is life or is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. So set your soul on the things above. Let your inner life, <clears throat> the life of your soul, match the life of your spirit seated in heavenly places. Because it's, it's your hidden life. You are safe and secure in Jesus, which will one day be glorified with him. No one can snatch your life away. Hebrews 7, 16 says it this way. Jesus has become a priest, not according to a law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an indestructible life. I love that word, actually. Indestructible life. Like I suggest that when Jesus entered the priesthood by virtue of his indestructible life, and that he's imputed that to you. His priests. So in other words, you can be involved in sexual immorality, in impurity, in the passions and lusts of your flesh, and yet your life is still secure in Him. So why behave? <laughs> you know, you can be really messed up. You can be stuck in addiction. You can be bound in pornography, and yet He is right there with you, in you, residing in you, loving you, accepting you, even if you have no plans to change. Even in the moment, he is forever close and he's not counting your sins against you. Your life is secure in him. And he's not disillusioned by you. Because he actually had no illusions about you in the first place because you're known by him. Like he knows you. Thanks, bro. <laughs> See, this is the acceptance grace of God. And that is actually what undoes us. You know, that's what undoes us about the testimonies of the three people getting baptized this morning is that they've been accepted and they've found home in the Beloved. It's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. And yet he, he's just far too loving to leave us in the state that we're in. 
You know, so he pursues our hearts. He pursues our freedom. He wants to see us come into wholeness. Does it grieve him? You know, like as a father grieved by his precious son or daughter who's kind of screwing themselves up, they're in pain, they're in torment, they're grief-stricken, they're tortured, or even like they're just happily oblivious, you know, like just blind to their sin or or the flesh issues. Jesus is coming back for a, a pure spotless bride who has faith, full of faith, He's looking for faith on the earth. That, that blows me. And him and I have this personal joke um, where I, I see him and he goes to lift the bride's veil. And I'm like, oh, no, no, not yet, Jesus, not yet. She's still pretty ugly. Like, you don't want to kiss her yet, you know, like. <sighs> keep the veil down just a little bit longer. I'm sorry, Lord. I know she's your bride, but he's the one doing the purifying, though, you know. But while your life may be secure in him, has his life been flowing through you yet? This is Paul's intent in this transition to looking at behavior. Being a disciple is not just us living for God, but rather Jesus living through us. So we must get to a point where we stop running from him. You know, we actually start running to him where we stop uh, like anesthetizing ourselves from feeling him, from being close. You know, many of us feel nothing at all. We can't even feel uh, in touch with ourselves. We've numbed ourselves. We've numbed ourselves. We've comforted our flesh so much that we've actually shut ourselves down to the experiential encounters of life, of his life flowing through us. What would it look like to run from those fleshly comforts to him? When will we stop avoiding everything that our hearts actually desire? Like these are the things that our hearts yearn for, the things above, to encounter him and to be transformed by him. When will we stop avoiding them? Like it's his love, it's his it's his intimacy from which life flows. So what do we do? We put to death the flesh. We leave it in the water. The carnality. Colossians 3.5. So put to death whatever is your nature, sorry, whatever in your nature belongs to the earth. Sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passions, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. The Greek word here, um, put to death, uh, is where we get the word mortify. It means subdue through self-denial. And he's saying, Jesus' life has made you capable of bringing your body and soul under the control of his spirit. Yeah, that was, that was really good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say it again. Jesus' life has made you capable of bringing your body and soul under the control of his spirit. He actually commands it, and he wouldn't command it if, he, if it wasn't possible. You know? Are you living in the fullness of life this morning? Like, are you sick of being ripped off? I don't know. When, 
when we try to resurrect our flesh, when we go back to the water and we entertain the old man, we actually give an open invitation to the enemy to rob, to kill and destroy. Stuff that. No, thank you. Yeah. Colossians 3.6. We're moving somewhere. Colossians 3.6. We're up to verse 6. Come on. Uh, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. You also lived your lives in this way at one time when you used to live among them. The sons of disobedience, right? This is a Hebrew idiom. It's actually, it means those who are mature in willful disobedience. They are mature in willful disobedience, the sons of disobedience. It's in stark contrast to the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God that are before me, who have been raised with Christ out of the waters in resurrection life. Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let uh, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Your life as a son of disobedience has already died. And now you have new life in the son of obedience. Wow. Romans 5.19 in the King James says it this way. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so that by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. That sinful nature that you inherited from the first man, the one man, first Adam, he's dead. He's been cut out of you. Don't climb back to the dirty waters. Oh, I miss you. Nah, sod that. (laughs) Don't place yourself back in disobedience by conformity to the law of striving, to the law of performance, to indulging your flesh. When you do, you actually encourage the enemy to accuse you. You actually enact the legality of the justice system and you go back to the law, the baser laws like sowing and reaping as opposed to the law of acceptance grace and his empowerment. Colossians 3, 7. But now put off all such things. He's referring to that list that we've already read, the fleshly pursuits. But he adds anger, rage, malice, slander, abusive language. Get rid of them from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his practices and have been clothed with the new man that is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. We cannot conquer our flesh in our own strength. I've tried, you've tried, we've all tried, right? That's why we must put on the new man. It's a new garment, (laughs) Thanks, Jess. The new creation, the born-again spirit that is one with Jesus. We bear his image and likeness, his nature. The new man, as he manifests himself, the effects of our old man are dissolved. They're diminished. Romans uh, 8, 5, 6 says it this way. For those who are... who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Do I function out of my flesh or my spirit? Verse 14, for all those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. These are the sons and daughters of God. Those who are being led by the Spirit of God. That's you and I. He goes on, Colossians 3.11, 
There are neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, slave, free. All are, but Christ is all in all. He's saying that all of these external things are actually just irrelevant because all that matters is that you're a new creation in Christ and that you're led by the Spirit of God. Life in the Spirit is in direct opposition to life in the flesh. They're like, they're mutually exclusive. And you can oscillate between the two in your mind if you're not set on the things above. I see, I don't believe that we can make excuses any longer. The urgency is just too, too much. The urgency of the age, the time, the nature of where and when we live and what God wants to see happen on the earth. We can't make up excuses. We can't live void of His presence and His power any longer because He's made all things available to us in Jesus. And our mandate, our calling as believers is really simple. Die to self and walk by the Spirit. Out of that, life will flow. As a church, as Harmony Church, our mandate is really simple. <laughs> right? Raise up sons and daughters who know that they're going to die to self and live to the Spirit. <laughs> so I reckon if we get this, if we understand His acceptance grace, then He empowers us to overcome the flesh. Look to the things above and allow the Spirit of God to flow in and through your life. You will openly display the presence and the power of God. Let's, let's stand together. Father, we are all in this together because we're all human beings and we've all wrestled with our flesh. And we're sick of it. We're just fed up. We don't want to go back like a dog to his vomit. And we consecrate ourselves afresh in worship this morning, Father, because we want to be your pure, spotless bride. We know that you have accepted us truly through and through in Jesus Christ. And we thank you. We glorify you, Jesus, for all you've done. But we ask, Father, that you would transform us from the inside out this morning. We bring you the things that we're struggling with. We bring you our flesh and we lay it at the foot of the cross. We, we dunk it under the water and we say, stay there. We want to live in your spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come and fill us afresh. Flood us to overflowing 
that we would set our heart, our mind, our will, all our faculties on the things above, on your heavenly kingdom, that you would flood in and through our lives. We would be a holy conduit for your kingdom. And if this morning there's stuff that you're wrestling with, if there's stuff that you feel like, actually, I haven't let go of that yet, I'm still holding on to that. No, I don't want to give that over to you, God. Or maybe that's a priority I've set above Him. If that's you this morning, if, if you're dealing with any of that, come and give it to Him. Don't sit idly by. Don't wait for Him to magically do all the things for you. Make a step of faith, make an action, and lay it at His feet. Get desperate, get hungry. God, I place this before you. I don't want to pick it up again. And His loving kindness will overwhelm you. Come and do what only you can do this morning, God. We worship you this morning because you are beautiful beyond compare. And we want to look like you. We want to be like you.